0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So tonight, we're going to be looking at John 114. We're going to be considering the Incarnation. But I also want to begin, uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we have. We thank you that we are who we are and that you have brought us to this place. We pray, Lord, that as we gather tonight to worship you and gather in anticipation of your coming, of your birth, help us to have joy in our hearts. Be with us as we consider your word. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So tonight we gather and we gather with joy, but we also gather with maybe some sorrow because we're a people who are transitioning. This will be our last Christmas Eve in this building. This will be our last Christmas Eve as a branch or mission church of goodwill, but Lord willing, it will not be our last Christmas Eve. If the Lord does not return next year, then we also need to have a sense of hope, a sense of anticipation for what lies ahead. To wonder where it is that we'll we'll be uh, celebrating Christmas Eve Next year. But as I was thinking about tonight, as I was praying about tonight, about what I would speak on, all I could think about was the very nature of what we're here to celebrate. The very thing that makes tonight so special, so miraculous, and that's the, the birth of our Savior. And the And specifically, I have in mind the wondrous nature of the birth, that that God would come and would dwell among us as one of us, as fully human. I'm thinking about the incarnation. I love the way uh, that it's told to us in the song that Derek just sang before, the Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love that verse. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Pleases man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Incarnation is a word that just literally means to be embodied in flesh or to be taking on flesh and as we think about that as we think a little bit about this truth this teaching in the church I want to impress just two key things uh, on you and then make we'll make a couple of points connected to it but just two key things and one is that incarnation is unique it is categorically unique everything about it is unique and distinct And then secondly, that the Incarnation gifts us with the Spirit. It's why we have the Spirit. So firstly, I said that it's unique. There is a belief system that you're probably familiar with, or maybe not, but you might have heard of it, one that incorporates the idea of Incarnation. But in that system, Incarnation is anything but unique. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's repeated over and over and over and over again. And the very name bears this out. It's called reincarnation. And that's a popular view. It's defined this way, the philosophical or religious concept that the non-physical essence of a living being begins a new life in a different physical body after biological death. In other words, reincarnation tells us that after you die, after your physical body dies, the essence or non-physical part of you is placed into another physical body And then this is repeated over and over again. But here's what I want us to see, that the the union that exists between the second person of the Trinity and his humanity is, as I said, unique. It's never to be repeated, never to be duplicated. Jesus is not only forever fully God and fully man, he is uniquely so. And when we think about things like that, where the deity and humanity are different unions. There's a number of them in Christianity that we'd, we would probably do well to just list real quickly just to think about. We can think about uh, the union that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a unique union as well. Uh, it's three different persons, and that's how we normally describe it. The Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit are three different persons, and they share one nature, a divine nature. That's different than what we're talking about when we talk about the Incarnation. That's the, the union that exists between the humanity and deity of Jesus, That's uh, not three persons in one nature, but one person in two natures. We can think about the union that exists between our bodies and our souls, which is unique to humanity, but not unique to every individual, of course. But then there's this union that exists between believers and the indwelling spirit in them, making us the body of Christ. (laughs) And it's this last one that I want to just focus a little bit of attention on for just a few minutes. And I want to do it while considering that the incarnation itself is the impetus to that. That's what makes that happen. That's what enables us to be those who are privileged to have the Spirit indwell us us to be believers. As we move closer to the launch of our church here at the Church of the Gunks, we should be increasingly focused on how it is that we're going to go about reaching people with the gospel, how it is that we will, quote-unquote, do ministry. That's the question that should be in front of us. In fact, it should be among the most important questions in front of us. And there's lots of models for this, lots of ways that we can do that. And one very popular model is actually called the incarnational model or incarnational ministry. Maybe you've heard of it. And the idea is basically that we would, we would, like Jesus who enters into a culture, we would enter into or incarnate ourselves into a specific culture, immerse ourselves in the local culture, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And of course, we do want to do that. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to be incarnational in that sense. But we want to and need to do it all while never losing sight of the uniqueness of the incarnation itself. And what that incarnation gifts to us as essential for doing ministry, namely the Spirit. So, as I said, we want to highlight that the incarnation is unique. I'll share a, a little bit of a, a story uh, by a, a given or told by a, a pastor whose name was Todd Billings. He tells a story about his efforts to do this. He was trained up in this, this model of incarnational ministry. He went to Christian college. He was taught this model at college. He was trained in this model. And the, and the ethos was kind of like this. Just as God became flesh in a particular culture 2,000 years ago, so too do we incarnate ourselves into our particular culture. And he tells this story, but what he says is that it wasn't long before he found himself as a missionary in Uganda practicing this model, this incarnational model, and he found himself asking very poignant and challenging questions. Questions like, would the people see Jesus as a result of his efforts to identify with that culture? Or is it just himself? Or he was also asking this question, was was he assuming that his presence rather than Christ's presence was redemptive? This was... Questions that he wrestled with. That's a one that's interesting to me. I can relate to that last one because when I served as a hospital chaplain, we spent a lot of time with that idea—the idea of something called ministry of presence. That we want uh, to have this presence, and this presence was often something that came with no words at all. You wouldn't speak; you just sit with somebody. You just be present with them, and that's good. It's human. It's relational, and it's necessary, and even good, especially when people are grieving or. Uh, enduring trauma but as Billings puts it he says it's it's very important to do that to offer this ministry of presence to those in need but he writes this he says when the gospel is reduced to identifying with others the uniqueness of Christ's uh, incarnation becomes nothing but an afterthought and our goal is not merely to identify with others it's not even to empathize with them primarily although we should empathize with them our heart for Christ should produce a heart for others Our goal, though, needs to be that we would be uh, witnesses to the good news, witnesses to Christ. That's the primary task of the church. And so we want to think in terms of how it is that we can be uh, integrated into the culture. We want to do that. Uh, But we also need to think of ourselves as, as servant witnesses to Christ, or to put it a little bit differently, we're servant witnesses for Christ, witnesses to the transformative power of Christ in us. And so... The Incarnation is unique, but it also is that which gifts us with the Spirit the essential aspect necessary for any ministry model, by the way. In other words, we do all that we do, all of this servant witnessing, how? By the Spirit, but simply. Part of our understanding of the uniqueness of the Incarnation is to observe what it accomplishes for us. That's forgiveness of sins, to be sure, but it also gifts us with the Spirit, who equips us for ministry. That is, he equips us to be servants for Christ, witnesses to his transformative power and reconciling ministry to make peace between us and God. That's the charge that's before us. And so, while we want to be incarnational in a sense, we also want to uphold the unique divine act of the Word becoming flesh. And this can be can some it can become something that's a bit challenging at times, especially if we're seeing our own. Uh, presence in a, a community as the thing that makes the impact rather than the spirit's work in and through us so what i want to do is just draw three simple points about that uh, twofold nature of the incarnation unique and gifts us with the spirit the first one is this when we think about incarnation we think about us as a as a body that does more to testify than to identify we do identify with culture we engage in the culture but we don't merely want to identify we're there to testify to tell the news of the gospel now, Billings tells of a story here that's rather interesting he talks about attending a workshop on urban ministry and it was built around Eugene Peterson's translation of our text for tonight John 1:14. in his rendering Peterson, uh, who, by the way, is a gifted linguist, but here's how he renders uh, John 1.14. It says, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Okay. He is a gifted linguist, but... Now, the foundation for this workshop was built on this notion of God's modeling ministry summed up in this idea of cultural immersion, entering in. In other words, moving into the neighborhood, immersing yourself in the culture, and, of course, good That's good. We want to do that. But for Billings, his deepest concern lied in this seemingly blatant overlooking of the context of Christ's incarnational life, that he was sinless in his life, and what of his teachings, and what of his death, and what of his resurrection? All these seem to be secondary in the model as it was being displayed to him, particularly in this workshop and in many contexts to it. As he put it, the biggest danger here is to reduce ministry to the labor of identifying with others rather than testifying to them about Jesus. You can think of it this way, that if we're not careful and all we do is identify, then the gospel becomes a a, a personal ethic. It becomes uh, something good that we do. It's not the good news, though, right? In other words... It can demonstrate that we too can offer a good way to live, good news, but not the good news. And that's what's distinct about the gospel. And so let me reiterate that we are able to testify because we're dependent on the Spirit. A popular verse to think about also from the Gospel of John Uh, that sort of supports this idea of incarnational ministry comes from John 20. Maybe you know the verse. It says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, which of course is, at least in some manner, very incarnational in its nature. However, the very next verse also offers an all-important key, and we've already mentioned it. It says, And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so, We must see that ministry is not the result of our own efforts to incarnate into a culture, but rather our dependence on the Spirit, gifted by God to us, His church. It's the Spirit who makes uh, Christ present in us, rather than our incarnational efforts uh, to make Christ present in any given culture. We do well to do that, but we can never forget to be reliant on the Spirit. But simply, the Spirit makes our ministry effective without Him Ministry is futile. So, a a different theologian put it, he said, Beware of all teachings that suggest it's your job to incarnate Jesus, for that is to render Jesus as an absent mythic Lord, rather than recognize that Christ is the living Lord who acts in and through the Spirit. And so we want to be thinking in terms of this idea that our task and our mission is more about testifying than identifying. That is, identifying with the culture. Secondly, our mission at the church is based on the mission of the Son and the Spirit. The New Testament makes very, very strong claims about the mission of the Son of God, and about the mission of the Spirit of God. And if that's true, and of course it is true, then the sending or the mission of the church becomes something that's by its nature derivative of that. In other words, we can't do it without them. It's based on them. It's secondary. It's utterly dependent on the finished work or mission of Christ and the continuing work of Christ in and through His Spirit. What we do missionally as a church is driven by what Christ has done and what His Spirit is doing. You and I are adopted into Christ by the Spirit, and of course, we do not have a divine nature, of course. We're creatures. He's the creator. We're human, and though his incarnation, in his incarnation Christ, becomes fully human, he is also uniquely fully divine. Here's something interesting to think about here concerning that incarnational ministry. Uh, Andres Kostenberger, New Testament scholar writes this. Listen to this. This is interesting. He says, terms such as coming into the world or descending or ascending, or read of those terms, you hear those in Scripture, those are reserved for Jesus. It's an interesting observation. Those terms that we see in Scripture, those are reserved for Jesus. They're not about the church. They're reserved for Christ. They speak to the way that he is sent into the world, incarnationally, but we are sent into the world uh, as uh, a response to our relationship with Christ and the Father. It's not one of incarnation, it's one of obedience and dependence. In other words, we're not sent into the world to perform another incarnation, but as disciples who bear witness to Christ and his reign, and again, by the Spirit. One last point. The Spirit not only sends us but he also gathers us for worship. I've just spent a little bit of time considering that we as the church are sent by the Spirit, but the Spirit also gathers us, and that's a key idea for us to take away here as we think about our beginnings of a new church. It has been expressed by advocates of incarnational ministry that corporate worship is merely a distraction from the real ministry of getting out there and helping people. And of course, engaging in the culture is real ministry and has real ministry value But if we diminish the value of worship, specifically the biblical charge to gather for worship as the body of Christ, which let me just highlight that for a minute, is arguably the most incarnational thing we can do. I want you to just think about that for a minute. When we gather as the saints, when we gather as the body of Christ, that is an expression to the community that is more incarnational than you individually or I individually going out into the culture. Worshiping in the culture as a gathered people is deeply incarnational. And if we diminish that, then we're in danger of promoting uh, an individualism. and We're also in danger of failing to value how it is that Jesus himself has chosen to reveal himself in both word and sacrament, which we partake of together when we gather for corporate worship. In fact, the biblical picture of the church is, And the age to come is one that consists of all different types of cultures, tribes and tongues and people and nations. But as Revelation describes it to us, they are presented to us together in corporate worship. Again, I would argue that our gathering to worship is the single biggest incarnational expression that we as the body of Christ can offer. It is our single best God-ordained witness to the world of our belonging to Christ. So let me just conclude very briefly by just saying a couple of words about this. There are many people who have integrated themselves into cultures for the sake of ministry. Many people who have given their very lives for the gospel. But what they're not doing is adding incarnations beyond Christ. They, and really we, too, are witnesses to and for Christ, equipped and empowered by the Spirit. Now, normally, at this time in a normal service, we would come to the table and partake of communion. And normally, we don't partake of communion at the Christmas Eve service because we're trying to focus on Christ's birth and not on his death. And we won't do that tonight. We won't partake of communion tonight. But I want to close our time by briefly reflecting on what communion gifts us specifically regarding considerations of the Incarnation. As I said, the Incarnation is unique and it gifts us the Spirit The Son of God taking on flesh is unique and His participation in our humanity is the means by which we can, through the sacrament, which I would encourage you to think through as we prepare for it next week, that's the means by which we, through the sacrament, can participate not not in His deity, per se, but in His or with His perfect humanity, with which that which His atoning work gains for us, our complete sanctification so as we think about what it is we do when we come to the table which we won't do now but we'll prepare for uh, next week that it's deeply incarnational it connects us to what humanity was meant to be and what we will be as we're transformed by the power of the spirit through the atoning work of Christ that's accomplished through incarnation so I'm going to invite Derek up uh, for our closing song and we'll uh We'll start here with the Christ candle and we'll light uh, the candles to have the the light of the world as we sing Silent Night. And as we close, let me just encourage you to pay attention to the lyrics from this hymn. Even here, the the miracle of incarnation is is woven into this. And my charge to you, my encouragement to you, my hope for you is that you wouldn't just think about it here, but you would think about it um, as we sing tonight. You would think about it Tomorrow, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, you would think about it in the new year, as a new church. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incarnation. Lord, may we be a people who see it as beautiful, as unique, and as gifting us with the Spirit. Help us to see that and to treasure it. See it for all that it is and and all that you have done in the miracle of, of taking on flesh and becoming us like us in every way separate with with sin so that you could save us from sin. Thank you for this Lord. We pray these things in your name Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.